0: famous Joe Oval I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> my name's Joe. I'm one of the leaders here, and we're really glad that you're here. Something we do every Sunday is open up the Bible and study it together, and I have the privilege of concluding our series that we've been in for the last few weeks called Out of Order, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute, but I want to say this, too. I was thinking about this this morning, that once upon a time, I heard that... Renaissance had been accused by people who had never been here that we only ever preach feel-good messages just messages that when you come in you just feel amazing when you left you feel like you're the best person on earth it's super encouraging which on one hand sounds really awesome right but on the other hand if you read the Bible (laughs) doesn't really work that way right it's, it's interesting to me that uh, that was an accusation, and it really was because um, by someone who had never been to Renaissance before. There's a lot of those, actually. I, <laughs> I'm going to stop there. A lot of things people have said who are like, "Did you hear they do this at that church?" And some of it, I'm like, "I wish we did that <laughs> at, at that church, I digress there, but I say all that to say, like if you, if you've never had an experience with something, um, you don't really understand it, and, and even things that we have had experiences with, we can misunderstand them, and and misunderstanding of things uh, can lead us to have improper ideas about what those things are. And that has been the thrust behind this series, Out of Order, to really help us understand the danger and the threat of idols in our lives. And I know that's not language we use in our everyday vocabulary here as Americans in central Illinois, so I will explain that a little bit. But before I do that, I want to, for those who may are visiting here for the first time, or maybe you haven't been a part of the other messages, I just want to explain what we mean by the phrase out of order, because when I hear that phrase, I think of two different things. First, I think of the gas station pump that has the yellow bag over the handle that you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I've got that one pump left. And you pull up to it and you realize that it's out of order. It doesn't work anymore. So in that way, the phrase out of order literally means out of working order. It doesn't work anymore. Anymore. On the other hand, the phrase out of order can mean out of sequence, as in you did something out of the proper order. For example, those of us who have purchased furniture on Amazon. We follow the instructions and we put together one side of the chair and we realize that we've got this figured out now. And so we don't need the instructions for the other side of the chair. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. And then you put the chair together, and then the chair's all together, and the half, second half you did without instructions because you figured it out the first part because you're awesome. And now, all of a sudden, you've got pieces left over. And you wonder, like I do every time, are these just extra? Did they send extra in case I lose? They don't send extra. What happened was that you skipped a crucial step that wasn't part of the first half of the chair, but there's this one little step that's in there that you missed that you only get if you actually follow the instructions. And six months later, you're sitting in the chair and it becomes a recliner when it's not supposed to be a recliner. And now the chair that you put together out of order is out of order. This happens with our lives too. So often, we will get things out of our lives, in our lives, out of sequence. We will get our priorities mixed up. We will will misplace our worship, and I'll talk about that a little bit too, but we'll misplace our worship and give it to things that do not deserve it. And when that happens, our lives become out of order. They just don't work. That's what the thrust of this series is has been and it came off of the heels of our series in the book of first John where we studied this letter that an old pastor he's probably in his 80s at this point a man named John had written to some churches and he finishes this letter first John chapter 5 verse 21 he finishes this letter to these churches by saying little children keep yourselves from idols literally protect yourselves from fake gods He hadn't mentioned idols previously in the letter. It's almost as an aside. It's almost like that's his signature tag at the bottom of the email. John says, little children, protect yourselves from fake gods. Keep yourselves from idols. And it's important for us to explain idolatry and what idols are because I think we misunderstand it. Because in our culture, idols are something to be admired. In fact, we create game shows and reality TV shows around becoming an idol, American idol. We say things like, I sure do idolize that person, or gosh, when I was a kid, that guy was my idol. An idol in our culture is something to be admired, but when we go back to the Bible, what we find is that an idol is something that we're actually to beware of. It's actually something that is opposed to our faith it's something that is opposed to our growth as a follower of Jesus an idol is not good for us and so John says keep yourself from them protect yourselves from them now in John's day idols were prevalent and they were obvious the word idol literally comes from a word that we get our word icon from and it refers to images Images crafted out of wood or stone, overlaid with precious metals, made to look like animals or people, created things, really, and these images were worshipped as gods. They were all over the city of Ephesus, where it's believed that John wrote that letter from. There were multiple temples to multiple gods and goddesses. There were temples erected to the Roman emperors. The city he lived in was a hotbed and a den of pagan idol worship. So for him to say, keep yourselves from idols, it is a very tangible thing to him and the people he was writing to. For us, not so much. We don't have images of stone and wood that we erect and bow down to worship to. We don't have created things that we offer animal sacrifices to, that we burn incense to in worship. We don't have those same kind of things. But we've attempted to argue over these past few weeks that we, in fact, do find our own idols in this culture. Even though we may not create them ourselves, what we do is create them into a God for us. We've touched on a few of them. The first week, we talked a little bit about how money can be an idol in our lives and control us. Second week, we talked about how other people can be idols in our lives and and prevent us from having our own relationship with God. Last week, Jen talked a little bit about how having your life out of order with idols at the center can disrupt everything about who you are. This week, I want to talk a little bit about how or why idols are so dangerous. And closing this series out, coming to a realization that not only are they prevalent, even though we may not see them the same way John would have, but they're very much a part of our lives that we need to protect ourselves from. John said just a few verses above in chapter 5 that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will protect us from sin when we believe in him he protects us he keeps us from sinning and that's a wonderful thing so often we focus on our actions and we focus on the things that we do if i could just stop sinning then i would truly be worshiping god john says no no no. the son of god jesus christ will protect you from doing that your responsibility is to protect yourself from these false gods Protect yourselves from the fake gods that will draw your heart away, that will misplace your worship and cause you to rely on something that is not eternal. So, why do we pursue idols so intently? Why is it something that is so easy for us to do? Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, referring to idols in our culture. And in this book, he says that human beings are idol factories. All throughout history, human history, we've been creating our own gods to worship them, which is a stunning thing when you think about it. And we'll talk a little bit about how absurd that really is, that we would turn a created thing into our God. But the reason that we do that is twofold, I believe. Number one is that we were created by God to worship. God made us in his image as an expression of his great love. The Bible says God is love, and there's so much love within him that he created us so that we might worship him. The Westminster Catechism, it is an ancient Protestant document that has been guiding our faith for a few centuries now says this that the chief end of man or you might say it like this the purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever God created us to worship him since we were created to worship we will worship We will worship. It's who we are. It's what we were made to do. We were made to worship. The reason why we choose false gods is because we are also very rebellious against the one true God. And this comes from a moment when God created the first two human beings, Adam and Eve. He places them in this beautiful garden called Eden, and he gives them two rules. Tend to the garden, enjoy it, be gardeners there, love all of the, the lush beauty that exists there, live in harmony in this beautiful garden. Pretty easy rule to follow, isn't it? And then he gives them one other rule. Out of all of the trees in the garden, you can eat from them, except for one. Just don't eat from that tree. And he gives them this choice in the garden. Now, we'll go into this a little bit later, but here in this garden, they're given this choice whether or not they will obey God or disobey God. And because they chose to disobey him, rebellion entered into their hearts. And from then on, every person who's been born is born with this propensity to rebellion against God. The Bible refers to this rebellion as sin. Maybe you've heard of it. Sin this rebellion against God prevents us from worshiping God. But since we were created to worship, we will worship something. This is where idols come from. It comes from the fact that we were made to worship and the fact that we are indwelt with sin, with rebellion against God. This, this rebellion against God and our, and our purpose to worship come together and boom, we have idols. We have fake idols. God's. This has been happening constantly throughout the history of God's people. If you open up the Old Testament, you find that over and over and over again, God was approaching his people, the nation of Israel, and calling them to return to him, because they were consistently disobeying him over and over. If you go back to their beginning as a nation, God calls a man named Abraham from the land that he lived in, and he says, I'm going to take you to a land where you don't even know where it is yet, but when you get there, I'll tell you that you're there, and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. They're eventually enslaved in Egypt, and while they're enslaved there for 450 years, and I'm giving you the Cliff's Notes version of the story. The first five books of the Bible actually tell this whole story, so it's a long one, so we we got time. I'm kidding. The CliffsNotes version of the story is that God rescues them from this land of Egypt, from the slavery that they had been in for 450 years. Now, in Egypt, they're surrounded, much like John was, with the worship of fake gods. All over the place, there are temples erected to fake gods. The Pharaoh is worshiped as a god. All they know is idolatry. It's in them. It's, it's who they are. So God calls them out of that. He says, I, I want, Pharaoh, you to let my people go so that they can come and worship me. And through a series of miracles that occurred over the nation of Egypt, God rescued them miraculously, truly miraculously, from the land of Egypt. And they witnessed God perform all of these miracles for them. And they get to the mountain where God says, I want you to come and worship me. And once they get there, they realize that God seems a lot scarier than these idols of wood and stone that they've been worshiping for so long. And so they send a man named Moses Up to the mountain to worship God instead. And Moses is up worshiping God on this mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he's up there, he loses his cell signal and can't communicate with anybody who's down at the foot of the mountain. Then they begin to get worried what's going on with Moses? He's been up there for 40 days. God must have killed him. We really need something to worship, though. It's all we know. God made us to worship. We've been worshiping all of these idols for so long. We need something to worship. So they go to Moses' right-hand man, his brother Aaron, and they say, Aaron, Moses is gone. He's probably dead, who knows, but we haven't heard a thing from him. Will you make a god for us? And Aaron says, Bet, why don't you bring me all your gold? Sounds like a great place to be in, doesn't it? Bring me all your gold, and I'll throw it into the fire, and we'll melt it down, and we'll craft a golden calf from your gold and they show up and they're like wow Aaron that's a really small calf for all that gold we gave you (laughs) it melts down it melts down but he he fashions this golden calf and he says to the the children of Israel this is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt and they bow down to worship it because it was just in them to worship false gods Moses comes down from the mountain furious and he asks Aaron, where did this calf come from? And Aaron's like, I don't know. We threw gold in the fire and this calf jumped out. Sounds like a kid explaining why the cookies are missing from the cookie jar. And Here's the consistent theme of God's people that over and over again, we rebel. We disobey back to the Garden of Eden Adam and Eve are there living in perfect harmony with one another, perfect harmony with nature, perfect harmony with God, and a serpent, the Bible says, is the devil approaches them and tempts them to eat from this tree that God had commanded them not to eat from. And he says, do you know the reason why God told you not to eat from this tree? Well, no, he didn't explain why we shouldn't. He just said that we shouldn't. The devil says, well, he told you not to eat from that tree because as soon as you do, you're going to have as much knowledge as he does. As soon as you eat from this tree, you'll become a God just like him. And instantly, their eyes are opened to the reality that maybe God's been hiding something from them. Maybe God doesn't want them to reach their full potential. Maybe God doesn't really have for them Everything they think they need. And so they reach out and take the fruit and eat from it and disobey. And the Bible says that their eyes are opened and they are given knowledge, but not the same knowledge that God has. What they know now is that there's a separation between them and God. And I would argue that we've been doing the very same thing ever since. We reach out for something that we think is going to give us what we don't think God is really giving to us. And so we create our own idols. Some of those idols, I'm just going to go in hard a little bit here. Is that okay? I'm usually the funny guy, right? (laughs) Yeah, here he is. He's the jokester. Yeah, and that's true. If we haven't met yet, I'm hilarious. But not today. Not today, I'm just going to say some things that I believe to be true and maybe a little bit hard and difficult for us, but I think they're true. And the Bible says this, and Pastor Jeff reminded me of this, this which, let's just step out of the message for a minute. Did you all see Pastor Jeff playing guitar? Wasn't that cool? Once upon a time, he was a famous guitar player. That's not a joke. That's a real thing. So it's very cool. But he reminded me this week that the truth, Jesus said, will set us free. So I'm just going to say some things that I think are true, and maybe they will connect with you. And if they don't, let's haunt you. (laughs) Just kidding. So I believe we have false gods in our culture. I believe that we have fake gods that we've created that, that we've turned into gods that actually are not gods. And one of those in our culture, I believe, a fake god in our culture is sports. I think that is true. And here's why I believe that to be true is because we will order our lives around what our favorite team is doing. We will spend lots of money and resources to brand ourselves after our favorite team. We will sacrifice time with our families so that we can worship our favorite sports team, our favorite sports event. And if you think you're not worshiping it, you need to ask yourself what your mood does whenever your team loses, how you treat the people around you whenever you don't get your way because t- maybe we don't deal with that that much here because like we're not used to the Bears winning, really. And so it's like not that hard for us when they do lose. But, but if that's a thing for you, you need to stop and ask yourself, do I worship sports? Because it is a God in our culture. Another God in our culture, I believe, is politics. And here's how we know we worship politics is if if my candidate does not win, my hope for the nation is shot. (laughs) If my hope for the future depends on a human being, my worship is not to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is reigning over all of creation, who the Bible says holds all things in his hand. So if it depends on whether or not a man or woman is in the White House as to whether or not I'm going to feel happy and hopeful about the future of my country country I am not worshiping Jesus Christ I'm going to stop there before people hate me. I'm the funny guy, remember, guys? Okay. There are more, but those are two that are very prevalent for us here in America. We give ourselves to sports. We give ourselves to politics. We divide over politics. We hate one another over that. We refuse to hang out with one another over that. I know on Thanksgiving, you don't, didn't get to talk about religion and politics, so that's why we're doing it here, okay? I know that you've just been hankering to do it, but that is a God in our culture, and if we are to follow Jesus, we have to drag that out into the street and let it go. And let it go. Doesn't mean that we can't care. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be involved. I, I love it. I love to be involved politically, but my hope does not rest in whether or not my party is controlling the capital. My hope rests in the fact that Jesus Christ is on the throne. That's who is ruling and reigning over all of creation. I said I would stop, and I'm really going to stop right now. The problem with idols is that they're everywhere. In the book of Jeremiah, and you can turn there to Jeremiah chapter 10, we're, we're given this picture from this prophet Jeremiah who God sent to the nation of Israel to correct them. They were in, one of, in the midst of one of their greatest bouts of idolatry, one of their greatest bouts of turning away from God, and God sends them, Jeremiah, to warn them, if you guys don't straighten up, I'm going to actually remove you from the land that I promised to give you, and you'll be carried away to a foreign land. And so God sends Jeremiah to them with this message. And in chapter 10 of Jeremiah, we kind of get this deep inside picture of of how silly idolatry really is. It says this in verse one, hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the ways of the nations nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them. This refers to the fact that they would look to the stars in the sky for signs on how to live and guide their lives. They would worship the stars as beings that could actually give them things in life. And Jeremiah says, don't be like the nations who do that for the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an ax by the hands of a craftsman, a man goes out into the forest, cuts down a tree, whittles it down, and turns it into a shape. Verse four, they decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move or so that it cannot fall down. He's saying this is what they do to make their idols. How silly and futile is that? They, they themselves have to go to the forest, chop down a tree, whittle it into a specific shape, cover it with silver and gold, hammer it to the wall so that it doesn't fall down. They're doing all of the work. And then they bow down to worship this thing. Verse five, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. Scarecrows are only good to scare crows away. But what if the scarecrows get used to it and wisen up and land on its shoulders? The scarecrow can't do anything to send them away. It's just an image that is not alive. They have to be carried. They cannot walk. Idols are burdens in themselves. Do not be afraid of them. They cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. The problem of idols is that they're everywhere in our culture, And just like these idols here, is that they're not alive. They cannot help us. They can't do anything for us. They're actually burdensome to us. They will divide us from people that we love. They will divide us from understanding God's love. This is the danger and the problem of idols, but the real problem of idols, barring the fact that they're not good for us, barring the fact that they can't do anything to help us, they actually require more work from us, the real reason the idols are a problem is because they are not worthy of the worship that we've been created to give. Verse six says, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Jumping down to verse 10, the Lord is the true God. He's not a fake God like these idols that are around us. He is the living God, contrasted with these inanimate objects that are not alive and he is the everlasting king even contrasted with man with men who were worshiped as gods who would eventually die god is living and everlasting he never dies he is the only one worthy of my worship whether or not he was better to me than an idol was he's the only one worthy of my worship. Whether or not I can think I can derive some kind of pleasure or joy from this thing, God is the only one worthy of my worship for no other reason than the fact that He created me to worship Him. He's the worthy one. The idols are not worthy. The real problem, barring the things that they do, is the fact that they are not worthy of worship, which literally means ascribing. Worth or dignity to someone or something. God is the only one worthy of us ascribing worth, dignity, and extravagant devotion to. Jeremiah goes on to pray this in verse 23 of chapter 10. I know, Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. I think I have it all figured out sometimes, but I don't. I don't don't understand myself at all times. I don't understand the way the world works at all times. I certainly don't understand God. That all belongs to him. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Verse 24, correct me, O Lord. Correct me. He literally says, come and, and change the way I'm thinking about this. Now, the word Jeremiah uses here is very powerful. In fact, the word correct is not strong enough to really give us the sense of what he's trying to convey. The, the, the image that we're given of correct me is like seeing Conor McGregor in the cage with another person correcting the guy who's been mouthing off to him. That's what this word really means. Correct me. Come lay blows on me. Chastise me, Lord, so that I finally get it. But do it in justice, which blows me away and feels to me like a very dangerous prayer to pray. Because if God were to correct me in justice, I would be destroyed. If he gave me what was justly coming to me, he would have to destroy me thank God he doesn't answer Jeremiah's prayer he does not correct us in justice I, I want to jump over to and I don't usually like to jump around the Bible a lot but today I do I want to highlight this verse in Romans chapter 3 and I'll just read here starting in verse 21 it says the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And here is what it is. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So, so becoming right before God, ha- having a heart that does the right things, having actions that do what God would command, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we have to have Jesus to come and make us righteous because we've all sinned and we've been justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 26, it says this, and he did this, God did this. God sacrificed the life of his son, Jesus. He put our sins upon him to make us righteous for this reason. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might remain just and also see us as just as well. In order that God can remain just and look at us and not correct us in justice, he corrected Jesus in his justice. He laid blows on Jesus. He put Jesus in the cage for us and corrected him like that. Jesus was hammered to a cross. It's just interesting picture here we get in chapter 10 of of Jeremiah, verse 4. It says, they fastened the idol with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Jesus, fastened to the cross with hammer and nails, could not move. But do you know that it wasn't the hammer and nails that were holding him there? In fact, he said, I could call my father right now and he would send thousands and thousands of angels to take me down from this cross. It was the fact that Jesus is taking our punishment on himself that kept him On that cross and when he was pulled down from the cross eventually and laid in a tomb unlike these false gods he got up he walked out of the tomb fake gods can't do that because they're not living fake gods can't do that because they're not real Jesus is the one true and living God And because of his sacrifice for us, we have an open door to come and have a relationship with God. I want to finish up here and I want to give just a, a maybe a real practical look at, at what it looks like for us, for God to correct us in our idolatry. Because though he has corrected Jesus already, I believe that there are times, and I've experienced in my own life, and I'll share this here, that that God has to come to us and actually speak to us and and tell us to do something different than what we're doing. He has to correct us in that way. He he has to change our way of thinking. He has to draw our attention away from the idols and back to himself. And I have a very specific example of this that happened to me just last week. I'm sitting at home praying about something, working through this temptation, and I could go into all of the details, but you would love that too much, and so i won 't and so i 'm just praying with god to God, ask him to help me through this, and I really felt like God spoke to me, and i didn 't hear a voice in my ear, I just got this sense through these This phrase that appeared in my mind almost from out of nowhere, that's usually how I know God is speaking to me. It's this phrase that will come in from out of nowhere, and it's not anything that I would have thought of, and I know that it's not, this isn't something I would have thought of, because here's what I believe God said to me, was, Joe, you just need to submit to me. I would never suggest that to myself. (laughs) That's how I knew it was God. You just need to submit to me. Are you are you struggling with idolatry, Joe? You just need to submit to me. Is your worship worship in the wrong place? You just, just need to submit to me. What does that mean, submit to him? It simply means obey him when he says to do something or not do something. And that looks different for every one of us. We don't get a list of rules now like the children of Israel did. We actually have to have a relationship with God where he will speak to us as individuals. And this submission to him does look different. But when he does speak, we can see from the Bible the way that he likes us to respond in obedience to him. He wants us to be swift about it, be very quick to obey him. He doesn't want us to put it off. If I put it off for too long, I will talk myself out of it. If I know that God has spoken, I need to follow through. He wants us to be discreet with our obedience. We don't have to go publish it on social media every time we've decided to obey God, what he's telling us to do. Because here's what happens. When you begin to share that sort of thing, we often will call that our obedience. Wow, I really got that off my chest now and forget that we actually have to go do the thing. Just be discreet about it. Just obey him. He wants us to obey him simply. Just do it. Just do what he says. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves to God. Just submit to him. Come under his authority. Obey him when he speaks. Resist the devil's temptations, and he'll flee from you. If Adam and Eve would have said no to the serpent, he would have fled from them, but they didn't. God empowers us now to do that so that when we submit ourselves to him, and say, Lord, it's what you want for my life, not what Joe wants. It's not what the the things around me in our culture would say I must attach myself to in order to find value and worth and meaning. It's what you want from me, Lord. I will give myself to that. And we find the pieces of our lives that feel so out of order. God somehow puts them together. I'm not saying he makes our lives perfect. I'm not even saying he makes them easy, because obedience is hard. What I'm saying is there's this peace that surpasses our understanding where we can't even imagine why we feel so settled in what we're doing, but we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is guiding us. That is what submission to him and obedience feels like. My prayer for all of us today is that as we are bombarded with a temptation towards idolatry we would stop and say no and simply submit ourselves to God and worship the one we were created to worship would you pray with me Lord we're so thankful that you have made a way for us to worship you in spite of our rebellion against you through what Jesus did for us on the cross, by, by laying himself down as a sacrifice, by allowing himself to be corrected for our sake in our place, we now have the opportunity to truly worship you. And I thank you for that, Lord. Lord, when we are worshiping you, we're doing what we were made for. We're fulfilling our purpose and there's nothing more fulfilling in life than that very thing. So, Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see just how worthy you are. Give us clarity that those other things, these fake gods we would worship instead of you, will fail us. They're unreliable. They do not last. They are not worthy. Do what you have to do to to turn our thoughts to you, Lord, to to correct us in a way that brings submission and obedience and true worship to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at Rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.